can sometimes be dangerous to sing words without thinking about them. And uh, as we approach the word of God tonight, uh, may I remind you uh, the words we've just sung. Uh, Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Let's just come before God now and ask his help. Heavenly Father, I'm very conscious as we look at your word tonight that there are things within it that will make us balk at what you ask us to do. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, see these words for what they are, your true and living word to us, words to be lived out in obedience that comes from faith. So please lift our eyes, Lord, now. Speak into our hearts by your Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it can be uh, very easy to be led astray and find yourselves pointed in the wrong direction. That can be especially easy when uh, you come up to uh, something that you perhaps don't think you like the look of or perhaps don't understand. And I think tonight's passage is a very good example of that. Uh, We read from verse 15 of chapter 3, but our main passage of interest is verse 18. It begins with those words, wives, submit to your husbands. goes on, children, obey, and further, slaves, obey. As we uh, hear those words, uh, we can almost immediately find ourselves looking for a way out because they grate with the 21st century culture in which we live. And and what makes it worse is we see the heading that you can see just above uh, verse 18 that the translators have added for us. It's not there in the original. And it says, rules for Christian households. And at that point, we start to wriggle even more. And then we remember what Paul's strapline has been since uh, chapter 2, verse 6 onwards. It's about not being kidnapped by ideas that, uh, well, appear and are based on human tradition. Uh, Verse 16 of chapter 2, don't let anyone judge you by the things you do. Uh, And verse 20, uh, don't submit to worldly rules. And then after chapter 2, we come upon another sentence at the beginning of chapter 3, again added there for us, rules for holy living. And I don't know about you, but for me, my mind started getting a bit uh, furrowed. My brow was furrowed as I looked at these verses because having been told that we have fullness and freedom in Christ, free from rules, Paul seems to be now leading us into legalism. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. It's all about relationship, not rules. Back in uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it's all about receiving Christ Jesus as Lord, living in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's all about relationship. And when you look at chapter 3, you see it's exactly the same. Uh, It was wonderful to hear Kent remind us about 3 verse 1. We live now with eternity in view. Having been raised with Christ, 
Our lives are caught up in relationship with him. And that changes how we live. It changes our view of one another, verse 11. And then Vanessa, I I had this written down before uh, either of those two folk uh, stood up. Uh, Vanessa said, "It, it changes our attitudes to one another, verse 12. Our relationship with Christ, changing our relationships with one another. And how that begins to happen even more was uh, summed up in that little introduction we had from verse 15 onwards. Again, it's all about our relationship with Jesus. We're told to let the peace of Christ arbitrate in our relationships with each other. The word of Christ permeate our relationships with each other. And the name of Christ motivate us in our relationships with one another. Can you see it time and time and time again? Our relationship with Christ, not about rules, about relationship. And that's why time and again, Paul has come back and said thank you for that relationship. Verse 15 of chapter 3, we heard read tonight. Be thankful. Verse 16, sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Our passage tonight is all about relationship, not rules. And when we see it that way, it makes us look at these verses very differently. So how does our relationship with Christ affect our earthly, everyday, or what you might call kitchen sink relationships? Well, first off, It is the relationship to regulate all others. There can be no missing this most obvious of facts in these verses. It's it's our relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord, that regulates how we're to behave to one another. In those verses, that's sort of uh, from verse 18 onwards through to chapter 4, verse 1. One word dominates. I wonder if you noticed it. It appears seven times in those verses. Verse 18, wives are to submit as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives, then children obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers don't embitter your children. Slaves obey your earthly masters out of reverence for the Lord. End of verse 22. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Verse 24 since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. And then chapter 4, verse 1, the word right at the end of that verse, uh, translated master with a capital, is actually the same word Lord. It's inescapable. Each of these three relationships that Paul is looking at in these verses, that of wife and husband, child and father, slave and master, and we'll see that that's probably employer and employee relationship, is to be understood in terms of our relationship with Christ as our Lord. And then in in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul's key concern with regards to the outsider, the person who doesn't know Christ as Lord, is this, is that we are to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And if you look back to chapter 1, verse 27, you see that Paul says that that is none other than Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, it's relationship with Jesus. 
That relationship is to regulate all other relationships. Uh, In uh, the UK, we're becoming increasingly familiar with regulatory bodies. Perhaps one of the uh, most well-known at the moment is the FSA, the one that regulates all relationships with financial institutions. It regulates interbank relationships. It regulates relationship between uh, banks and their customers and also between banks and their employees. And so we've seen lots and lots of talk about uh, appropriate bonuses. That authority is regulating all relationships by virtue of its relationship with everyone else. That's what Christ's relationship with us is to do. It is to regulate all our relationships with each other and make them appropriate. I think we can very easily pass over this in our daily lives. We can get focused on our earthly relationships, on our earthly relationships with family, with work colleagues and so on. And we can forget and ignore the most important of relationships with our Lord. If we neglect that relationship, actually we are in reality neglecting the relationship that we most want to build with those around us. Failure in our relationship with the Lord will bring failure in our relationships with one another. If we're honest, if we look at our relationships in our daily lives, all of them could and should be better. If Christ is our Lord, they will be. You see, if Christ truly is the image of the invisible God, as as Paul's been saying, if he is the creator of all, back in chapter 1, verse 15 onwards, if Jesus is the one in whom everyone is held together, in whom all things hold together, if Jesus is the one who's given us that most precious of relationships with himself and with God, verse 19 and 20, through his reconciliation, his death upon the cross. If that is so, then his relationship should regulate every single one of ours. So that they are, verse 18, fitting in him. So that they please him, verse 20. So that they serve him also. May well be, as uh, I've been saying those things, that perhaps you're balking at the thought of that. Perhaps having Christ regulate your relationships is one step too far. If that is how you are feeling, then it's not an issue that you have with me. It's an issue you have with Christ himself. And it may well be that uh, you need to look carefully at your relationship with him. Your issue is not with Paul, not with me, but with him. Jesus is our Lord, and his relationship should regulate all our other relationships. That's the underlying truth from these verses. But let's move on to look at some specifics and see, secondly, that our relationship with Christ is the relationship to restore all relationships. Just take one look at your relationships. We know that they are not what they should be. And in these verses, verses 18 through to 4, verse 1, Paul focuses on life in the home. 
day-to-day normal life. If you go into the average home, you'll see that that revolves, as I mentioned earlier, around the kitchen sink. Everything seems to happen around the kitchen sink. You need life at the kitchen sink for life in the home to go on. And you need Christ in those relationships if those relationships are to grow. Uh, Paul highlights here three uh, relationships that would normally have been in the home in his day. Uh, The relationship between husband and wife, between uh, children and fathers, and also between slaves and their masters. Family relationships, and I think we can probably say in today's society, work relationships too. And we'll see as we look at them that our relationship with Christ transforms and restores those relationships back to how they should be. Back to how they're meant to be. But before we look at at what God is saying through Paul, just a few preliminary comments. First off, if you find uh, what this teaching is saying to you tough, can I remind you your beef is not with me or with Paul but with God. Go to him and do business with him. Uh, Second, it may well be that uh, you're not in one of these relationships uh, that are being mentioned. All of us will be in one of them. But we will all know people who are in them. You may not be married, but you'll know people who are. Uh, You may not have children, but you'll know those people who do. You may no longer be a child, but you'll know others who are. You may indeed be a child and know others who are parents, others who work. You may be a retiree, but you will still know people who work. And so these words are words we need to know, each and every one of us, so that we can help and encourage one another in such relationships, so that each of us is living to God's glory as we bring those relationships under him as Lord. And third, the third preliminary comment. Uh, We haven't time to look at each of these relationships in huge depth. More is said about them elsewhere in the Bible. It's not contradictory, but complementary and helpful. And occasionally I'll point you to verses that you can look at for that. So let's look at these uh, well-chosen words uh, from God through Paul and how God's relationship with us in Christ restores them. We'll see how sin has destroyed them, how sin makes them far less than they should and could be, and how in Christ they can begin to be once again what they should be. So first uh, off, uh, wives. Wives, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I suspect that that uh, word submit has made uh, more than a number of us around this uh, room uh, raise our eyebrows. The idea of submission in our culture today is abhorrent. And we'll see that uh, that word submit or the idea of obeying it comes in each of these relationships. It comes with, between children obeying their parents and slaves obeying their masters. We don't like it. We don't like to do it. Until that is, we see that submission is part and parcel of God's relationship. 
of the father's relationship with the son, most particularly. If you were to read uh, John chapter 5, verse 18, you'd see Jesus say that he is equal to the father. And yet, if you read in many other uh, uh, passages in the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus submits to his father. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, are classic examples. It shows us that submission is not about status or position, but about an attitude, about a role. And you can see that very clearly in the parallel passage about uh, wives and husbands in Ephesians 5, verse 21. The verse right at the beginning of that passage tells us that we are all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how can wives submit to their husbands? Well, the obvious example is that of uh, Jesus and submit as Jesus does. His submission is the yardstick for submission. As he submitted, so wives should also. You won't want to, but we are called to do so. Uh, We've been looking at uh, Genesis uh, 1 to 3 in these past Sunday mornings. And one of the consequences of mankind's rebellion against God, of God's curse, is this. Women, uh, Eve is told, your desire will be for your husband. Quite literally, you'll be wanting to take your husband's place, usurping him in the home. So it is not surprising that we see that happening. God says, wives, submit to your husbands and you glorify him by doing so. In these words, we see that there is no... And let me just say this slowly to you. In these words, we see that there is no possibility of a married woman's surrender to Christ that is not made visible and actual by her submission to an earthly husband. There's no possibility of a married woman's surrender to a heavenly Christ that is not made visible and actual by submission to her earthly husband. That is what God says. And that is restorative. It puts back our relationships to how they were before we rebelled against him in the garden. It puts relationships back the way they should be. And it comes about through our relationship with him. Jesus shows us how to submit. And wives, follow his example. Second, husbands, verse 19. Note this isn't one-sided. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You see, we can't tell wives to submit without the reciprocal for husbands to love and not be harsh. Do you see how God's perfect word enables both sides to fulfill what he is calling them to be and to do? Again, back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, the consequence of that rebellion was that the husband would rule over the wife. 
rule. And that is the tendency for us as husbands. And I say that as a husband. The tendency is for us to be like that and to be harsh and unloving and uncaring. So often true, we often make our lives to revolve around us. We may not abuse our wives, but we certainly take them for granted. And we do not love them as we should. So how can husbands love their wives and refuse to be harsh with them? Again, what Jesus has done shows us the way. In the upper room, John 13, verse 1, uh, Jesus showed the extent of his love for his disciples and he wrapped a towel around him. He gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet, including those of Judas, who would later betray him. No sense of harshness towards Judas. And he then went on to show the full extent of his love, as we're reminded in uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, as he bled and died upon a cross, as he died for his bride, the church. Husbands, few of us will be required to bleed and die for our wives, but Christ's example is there for us. We are to love them that much. So love them. Don't be harsh with them and enable them to delight in submitting to you. What about children? Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Uh, these verses still apply to those who are at home. I guess uh, most of us, even those of us in our 50s, 60s, maybe older, may still be children but in terms of these verses here, Paul is talking about those who are still at home, still dependent upon their parents. Uh, notice that uh, you are still regarded and spoken to as an important group of people within the church. You are being uh, uh, addressed just like wives and husbands. You are important within the church family. Uh, you know that family lives can so often be tense, strained, and yet here you are told to obey your parents, not just in some things, not just sometimes, but all the time, in everything. Uh, not to please them, take note, but to please God. You may wonder, how can you do that in everything? Once again, just see the model of Jesus in his relationship with his father. There was no more obedient child, no more obedient son, as he lay in agony in the Garden of Eden, sorry, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he looked ahead to what he was facing, his arrest, his flogging, and his crucifixion, and facing his father's wrath for the sin of the world, he cried out these words, Mark 14, verse 36. He said, Abba, the most intimate way of addressing, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, 
but what you will. Children here tonight, youth, you may say your parents ask too much of you sometimes, but they never expect that much, do they? So obey them, not to please them, although I hope you will please them, but to please Christ, the obedient son. And then what's the reciprocal? Well, Paul focuses on on fathers here. Fathers were head of the household. Verse 21. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Literally, fathers, don't make your children bitter against you. Lots of fathers here tonight. Make sure instead that you encourage them. That you, yes, discipline them, but that you make sure that you tell them you love them in the same breath. That you make sure that you give them appropriate boundaries because they should be looking to you for them if they are being obedient. Once again, question, fathers, how can you do that? Well, look again at the words and actions of Jesus. How Jesus treats Peter after he has been raised from the dead. How did Jesus treat the one who had denied him three times? He said these words, John 21, verse 17. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. He didn't grind Peter's face in the dirt, but he forgave him and entrusted him again. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Parent them well for God's sake and glory because he is the perfect father and has been the perfect father to us in welcoming us home. We have done far more, we have been far more disobedient to our Heavenly Father than your children will ever be to you. And yet he says, come back, come back. So, two sets of relationships, wives and husbands, children and fathers. And then finally, let's take it to the workplace and to slaves. There's lots to be said in these uh, verses. And uh, it's interesting, Paul does spend a lot more time talking about uh, slaves and masters here than the rest of the household relationships. And I suspect it's because he's got his mind on one particular relationship, that between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave who had uh, scarpered from uh, from Colossae. And he had come face to face with uh, Paul in Rome and been miraculously converted. And we'll find out uh, next week that he has been a huge blessing to Paul and Paul is going to send him back, back to Colossae, back to Philemon, his master. And so these words are not just empty words to uh, any slaves and masters. These are words with great context. Note uh, three things. Uh, as we look through these verses. First off, uh, slaves, always obey. Obey your earthly masters, not sometimes, but in everything. Always obey them when you're being watched or not. Work as as if uh, you're being watched over, even when you aren't. Obey them always. Second, verse 23, work with all your heart for the Lord. Work as if for the Lord, not for men. It changes our attitude, doesn't it, to working, when we see that that's what we're doing. When you go off to work tomorrow, whoever you are, whoever you're working for, 
delight in your work because you are working for the Lord. Work with all your hearts. And then verse 24, work with an eye on heaven. Work knowing that you have an inheritance that's far greater than any pay that you'll get in this life that awaits you. That awaits you, yes, as a slave, as an employee. Genesis 3 tells us that work will be hard. And it will be very hard. But when we have this perspective, it transforms and restores our ideas about work. When we remember that Jesus came into the world not to be served, but to serve, that reminds us, doesn't it, that he has done it before. We are to follow in his steps. When you feel that your employer is taking you for granted, keep on going. When you feel that your course tutor at uni is asking too much of you, if you're an employee here tonight, remember that the Christian action is to say, yes, Lord, I love you, and I'll show you I love you by the work that I'm going to do today. Have that imprinted upon your hearts and your minds. And then masters, finally. Masters, in everything, remember that you are not the final authority, that you have a master in heaven, and he will provide you with what is right and fair. I think there are many masters here in Forward. We're especially blessed with people who have risen up through the ranks. Can I say to you tonight, make sure that your subordinates, those who work for you, know that you are a Christian. By how you treat them, by how you live, knowing that you live under the authority of the true master with great humility and love. Well, time is moving on, and uh, we could probe even further. I could say much more, but I hope you're getting the picture. Each of our daily relationships, our relationships with our husbands, wives, children, fathers, parents, and in the workplace, those are to be transformed, restored by our relationship with Christ. You don't need to go searching on the internet. You don't need to go to relationship counsellors, to agony aunts, to restore those relationships. Your relationships will be restored in Christ. Restored in Christ. And then finally, as we uh, move into uh, the final verses, I just want to say one word on verses 2 through to 6. Our relationship with Christ is not one that is to be held onto. It is not one that we are to individualise to ourselves. It is one we are to reveal to others. That is why Paul talks about the mystery of Christ that we are to reveal to those who do not know him. That is what is on Paul's heart in these final verses tonight, verses 2 to 6. We'll look more fully at them next week. But for tonight, can I just say again, just look at how Paul's relationship with Christ dominates these verses. He speaks to Christ to start with in verse 2 being thankful. He prays. He asks that they would pray for him, that God would open a door, open an opportunity for them to, to speak about Christ to others, to explain the mystery of Christ to others. 
And then he speaks to the Colossians. Verse 4, he says, pray that I may proclaim it. Verse 5, he speaks about how they would proclaim it. To proclaim it wisely. Taking the most of every opportunity. Allowing your conversation always to be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. Able to answer everyone. Pointing everyone to Christ. You see, it reminds us, doesn't it, that our relationship with Christ is unique, but it is not to be exclusive to you and to me. It's one we are to share with everybody else. Well, my time is up. Christianity at its heart, this is what we say at Christianity Explored, Christianity at its heart is about relationship and not about rules. It's about relationship with the true and living God through Christ Jesus. Don't be deceived. It's about that relationship, a relationship that regulates every other one, a relationship that restores all others, and a relationship that we are to reveal and share with all others. Well, let's just take a moment of quiet. Let's think about our relationships. All of us will be in some of those relationships, whether it be relationships in the home or relationships with people who do not know Christ, those who are outsiders. Let's resolve to put Christ over each of those relationships.